Welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm an acute physician working in Coventry. And I'm Hussein Bashir, a respiratory registrar in the Kent, Surrey, Sussex region. And this is a podcast about general medicine in association with the education department at the World College of Physicians. We're going to cover some interesting historical facts. We're going to demystify medicine and clarify some general medical topics. Prior to this recording, me and Hussein haven't discussed the cases beforehand. And this week, I'm going to hand over to Hussein. Yes, thank you, Amy. Um, I thought I would just present a case uh, which has stayed with me for a few years. Um, it's got a bit of a neurological flavour to it. Um, so let's all see what we think. Okay. So I saw a 60-year-old businessman called Mr Redwood. Um, he had actually already been referred to the night registrar on the sort of early Saturday morning um, as off legs. Um, and he was currently sitting in the clinical decision unit of A&E. So not majors, not recess, but sort of a space till he could move to the medical yeah. ward. Um, but obviously the shift patterns changed. Um, so the day team came on, I came on as, as the medical registrar um, and got another call from the uh, new A&E consultant um, who said, this chap's been waiting a, a long time. Um, I've just re-examined him. Um, I think he's got some neurology, possibly Guillain-Barre. So obviously, you know, he's, this patient's been waiting a little little time, um, has already been seen by two different teams and different shifts. Um, we've got a bit of information about off legs um, to something like Guillain-Barre. Um, so obviously, you know, had to take take the patient and, you know, see what's going on. So when I saw the patient, he was alert, orientated, uh, looked quite comfortable, wasn't complaining of any pain. Um, obviously a little bit peeved to be waiting so long. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, we managed to move him to uh, the medical ward so he had a slightly more comfortable bed. Um, in terms of signs, he did have some very slightly reduced power globally, um, but nothing sort of pinpoint. Um, and being honest, it was quite hard to differentiate how much of it was him just not putting effort um, into it because he's tied to, to something genuine. Mm. Um, he didn't have the best sensation in his feet as well. Um, so to pinprick sensation, he was scoring about seven out of 10. Um, reflexes were difficult to elicit but they were present um he had had a chest x-ray which was normal urine dip which was normal his wife was also in attendance and kind of corroborated the history you know he wasn't an alcoholic um this had you know he had just been not feeling quite right for about 10 days or so um so i've obviously given you quite limited information mm. um his his baseline observations are all stable so he's afebrile yeah um, he's hemodynamically stable, not requiring any oxygen. Um, just with what I've told you, what's going through your mind? Where do I start? This is a, it's a difficult one. So I would go back to the patient and I'd go right back to the beginning and I would take a history and I would examine him yeah. from, from scratch because it's, I'm not entirely sure what his main presenting complaint was. It's quite non-specific. So I'd take a full history 
exactly how long it's been going on for, any bowel and bladder problems as well, any headaches, any neck pain, any visual disturbances, good past medical history, any medications. So really clear, comprehensive history taking, full examination again. Uh, it sounds like it may have been different to when he was seen in A&E. So either the A&E examination wasn't comprehensive or things have progressed since then, which would worry me. I'd start from there. I'm happy that he's hemodynamically stable, so he doesn't sound like he's acutely unwell. Um, after my history, after my examination, I would then start with some bedside tests. So you said he's globally powers reduced and decreased reflexes. Mentioned Gillian Barre, so I'd want to do his peak expiratory flow or vital capacity. It's really important. Do an ECG. Um, do a glucose test. Do an arterial blood cast, look at his oxygen saturations on there. Do some routine blood tests. Do a chest x-ray. Thinking about radiology-wise, probably start with a CT head, just because of power, decreased sensation, reflexes. Although it sounds more peripheral nervous system than central nervous system, a CT head would help. It would rule out a space-occupying lesion, and it's quick and easy to get normally in the setting. So I'd start there, which yeah. is probably not that clear, but that's where I'd start. No, you, you've said all, all the things that went through our minds. So okay. so first it was actually clarifying ourselves. What is the history? Absolutely, because yeah. we've had two different sort of trains of thought here, you know, off legs, yeah. um, you know, thinking about this, you know, and, and, you know, does he have a neuropathy? Does he not? So we're thinking about, you know, does he have a high alcohol intake? Is he diabetic? Yeah. Um, are those things that have caused, causing him an abnormal sensation? Guillaume Barre, so that was raised. We then thought about has he got a history of infection? Yeah. Um, interestingly, we, we did all that sort of full neurological examination. Uh, turned out that he actually presented to hospital having some difficulty with walking. A little bit, okay. little bit vague in why that was difficult. Um, but it transpired that when we tried to get him on his feet, uh, he was unable to walk. But he did have power uh, in his legs and his arms. We did the peak flow. We did the vital capacity as well with some, some bedside spirometry, which was fine. Um, we did the usual blood tests. His white cells was non-specifically raised at about 14. CRP was about 60. Um, so we weren't really convinced of, you know, a, a rip-roaring infection. Um, however, he did have a temperature um, with us. Um, we did scan the head. So again, thinking about, okay, is he just hiding an alcoholic history? Symptoms and history is a little bit vague. So, you know, why not, why not scan his head? So he had a CT scan of his head, which came back clear. Had he been traveling recently, been abroad? Yeah, so interesting question. So again, with the with Guillain-Barre, we're, you know, asked about, has he had any traveler's diarrhea or yeah. gastroenteritis? Yeah. Um, all that transpired was that he'd been to Greece about six months ago. Um, so nothing really fitting that timeline. Any drug use? Uh, no, no intravenous drug use. Um, but I'm glad you've raised that because it's a, a, an important point that will come across later. Okay. Um, but you know, re very pretty non-specific stuff. Yes, yeah, so he, he's had the odd cough and cold. Um, you know, he's otherwise quite healthy uh, and fit and well. Doesn't take any regular medications. Doesn't have any past medical history. Um, and yeah, just apart from the odd cough and cold, he's, he's otherwise um, okay.
in this situation, I would probably start to employ my sort of surgical sieve, for want of a better phrase. I use vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Or have I just... <laughs> so vitamin D, so V stands for vasculitis. So could this be vasculitis? I use infection. Could yep. this be an infection? T is trauma. Is there any trauma? A is autoimmune, so any autoimmune conditions. M is metabolic, so um, any hyperglycemia, any calcium disturbances. I is um, iatrogenic. Is there something that we've done to him? N is neoplasm. And D is drugs. So work, I'd try, probably try and work through all those because I still haven't got a clue what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, this just uh, mirrors the situation we were in. Okay. So there were certain things that we were reassured with, like the CT head scan, yeah. rest of the blood tests. Okay, has he got an infection somewhere? So we'll, we'll send up some cultures. Um, but again, some other things that weren't really fitting. Why is this fit and well man not able to walk? Mm. So we proceeded to, you know, get some further history, you know, asking the same questions again, you know, do you really not drink alcohol, etc.? You know, what's your diet like? You know, looking at those that surgical sieve that you said, you know, is there a def- metabolic deficiency yeah. or, or something here? Um, but rather... Uh, sort of alarmingly his neurology started to get worse Um, and it appeared that he was um, having an ascending neuropathy so his sensation towards the distal extremities were getting worse and he was getting weaker which would fit with Gillian Barrow exactly so given that this was what Annie had referred him with this is probably you know what what we're hooking on to Um, that was the route we went down. So proceeded to get a kit ready for an LP. Um, difficult on a Sunday, there's not many people around the hospital <laughs> that you can find to do it, but luckily I, I, I had the time to do it myself. Um, and I saw some yellow fluid come out of his uh, lumbar puncture needle. Okay, so you're doing the LP to look for Gillian Barry, which would you'd probably pick up a high protein level. Absolutely. But you actually found CSF fluid that was yellow? Yes. So very much wanting to do a test to see what the protein level was. As you said, is this a high protein? Yeah. Is this fitting with a guillain Barre? And then faced with something that I wasn't expecting. So yellow, I know we've touched on lumbar punctures previously, uh, and this is kind of related to it. So yellow fluid and a lumbar puncture, what goes through your head? Infection. Yeah. Definitely, you know, is there some nasty infection there? Yeah. Bacterial tuberculosis. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be very worried. Yeah. So this kind of sent us down the route. Okay, this is infection of the nervous system, which is causing his presentation. Uh, This is obviously the fact it's coming out of the CSF. um, This needs pretty prompt action. Um, So actually, we spoke to the microbiologist immediately and covered him for um, meningitis. Um, So he had prompt treatment with um, what we were using at the time, according to Trust Protocol. So we think we can have a diagnosis there. CNS infection needs yeah. an intravenous antibiotic. And it would fit really with some of the symptoms. Yeah. Although not perfect. Yeah, absolutely. What happened next? So his neurology got even worse. So he's now at... So when I was finishing the lumbar puncture, I realised that he was a little bit in, in unstable uh, with his trunk. So he was having a little bit of difficulty actually maintaining an upright posture and was swaying a little mm. bit. 
Um, again, does this fit with Guillaume Barre? Is he has he got this ascending neuropathy? Um, is it is he just septic and, and weak from that? Um, again, we repeated the vital capacity, making sure that he wasn't you know about about to have a respiratory arrest, uh, but that thankfully came back normal. Um, but a bit of an alarming situation. Yeah, I I have to say, I would be really concerned because I'm I'm. It's a difficult case, and I'm still struggling to really get to grips with it. Yeah. Were, were his cranial nerves normal? So cranial were, cranial nerves were normal. Okay, because my concern, you said you're doing a lumbar puncture. You think he's got meningitis, could be bacterial or TB. Has he coned because of the sudden deterioration in neurology? Mm. But it's was his GCS? So GCS still remained 15 out of 15. Oh. Um, we did the cranial nerve exam, you know, repetitively again thinking you know is this an unusual presentation of a bacterial meningitis um is he showing typical signs of Guillain-Barre where sometimes you do get facial nerve involvement um but nothing nothing really there so um to cut a long story short we thought okay why don't we scan his spine again so again CNS infection is is an MRI of his spine going to show something um as you can imagine getting a MRI scan on a weekend is quite difficult Um, and it was a bit of a battle because whilst we did have the results which clearly showed he had an infection which was causing his symptoms i.e we have the cause why do we need to have a scan of it to prove this prove what we're treating already Um, intensive care didn't want to take him um, because technically he didn't have an organ failure um, and they were reassured by his vital capacity Um, but with some convincing, uh, we managed to get uh, an MRI scan done uh, with some anaesthetic support because this chap was now continuously having um, ascending neurology to the extent where he was becoming paraplegic. Oh so in the scanner, he, he was starting to lose uh, motor symptoms, uh, motor function in his arms. And it was actually the MRI scan which then prompted another immediate CT scan of his uh, C-spine because sitting there was the cause uh, of his symptoms. So he had a epidural abscess um, of his cervical spine, um, which obviously it's not something that we see as medics every day. Um, This prompted immediate uh, referral to our tertiary centre for neurosurgery. Um, he was intubated, transferred over for an urgent decompression. So things escalated quite quickly. Um, and the reason I brought this case today is just because it highlights something that can happen with, you know, pretty routine uh, words used in a referral, you know, particularly the off legs thing. Uh, even Guillaume Barre, yes, you know, it's, it's something that sets alarm bells ringing with us. Um, but doesn't necessarily mean that's the that's the thing. So it's again thinking outside the box of it. Um, with that finding, um, things make a little bit more sense. So the odd cough and cold, which you may not think too much about, may have been an upper respiratory tract infection, uh, which was the original source of the infection. Um, being non-specifically, you know, not feeling great mobility-wise, whilst he did not say this you know did he have some discomfort in his back um or just not feeling stable enough to move around perhaps um and in the literature that's out there that's essentially what what they're saying is that typically um 
if you have an epidural abscess, you do tend to present with um, A, a fever, which you didn't have, so not exclusively, um, neck pain, back pain, uh, and you can have some motor symptoms as well, which he had, which were ongoing yeah. and, and developing. Um, there's a good paper uh, called Upper Cervical Epidural Abscess in Clinical Practice uh, by Khalid Al-Harani et al. Um, so they have an orthopedic background. Um, so obviously it highlights that this is technically a surgical case. Um, and they've you know, very nicely highlighted the things to look out for when considering this diagnosis. Um, in terms of risk factors, you've already mentioned one of them earlier. So although in, not in this chat, intravenous drug use oh, is okay. one of them. Yeah. Um, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, anything that can you know, be associated with immunodeficiency, um, including HIV, um, and also alcohol excess. Mm. So things we were all, all asking for, and he didn't really have any, any risk factors. In terms of the source of infection, um, most cases tend to be either staphylococcus or streptococcus. Um, they can spread by hematogenous spread, ear, nose and throat issues, uh, like he had probably an upper respiratory tract infection, um, urinary dental meningitis, lower respiratory tract infections as well. The classic triad which this paper leads to is for a spinal epidural abscess is pain, fever and neurological deficit, as we've mentioned already. Um, in terms of the imaging, uh, the gold standard is an MRI uh, with gadolinium, gadolinium enhancement. Um, obviously, it's something in hindsight that I would know exactly what to say to get yeah. that done quickly. Yeah, of course. Um, and hopefully this will be a, a nice learning point for a lot of other people to, to suspect. Um, and obviously, CT-guided drainage, um, or what I would recommend is referral to surgery, plus or minus neurosurgery, in a very quick fashion. Um, so... Obviously, a very hard-hitting case. This is a chap who came into A&E with his wife by himself, not by ambulance. Uh, and within, you know, probably 18 hours has left it intubated and paraplegic. Um, it's not, didn't follow the typical case of Guillain-Barre or whatever. And although we were looking for it, um, when you think about Guillain-Barre deteriorating, you think about, okay, reduced vital capacity. There are some typical signs which would get him sort of high-level support. Um, but he highlighted sort of an unusual presentation, certainly for medics to see. Um, and they just highlight some of the challenges that we, we do have. And, you know, whilst there's probably not a lot of things that I would do differently, you know, he had a lumbar puncture, he had all that kind of treatment um, as he should have done. Um, but it just highlights how quickly someone can deteriorate despite those efforts. And you said at the beginning that this is a case that's stuck with you for the last four years. What is it about this case that resonates in particular with you? Yeah, so it's 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 not actually the clinical stuff. I mean, the, the clinical thing is is you know reading about epidural abscesses, seeing how common they are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, how you treat it, which is quite straightforward. It's actually more the logistical, operational sides of being a, an on-call medic. So you've had it when you were a medical registrar, and now an acute consultant, and it's something that. Um, those of us who do the general medical take all have, you know, sometimes you're so busy, you know, you get referrals left, right and centre. Some you can prioritise because it's pretty clear cut that they're urgent. Others sometimes get left till someone else can see them or in this case, you know, till another uh, team, you know, the changing of shifts can see them and things can get lost. Um, handovers can always be better, whatever department. Um, 
and it, it you know it's made me certainly more cautious in what I hear um, during when I'm taking my referrals. So I'm probably a little bit more thorough um, yeah. in sort of uh, what I take, what I put on a list, um, who I delegate to see them. Um, because there's, yeah, there's so many things out there that can, can catch you out and may not fit the narrative that you, you, you're sticking to. Um, so it's keeping an, an open mind to everything, really. Yeah. And also you followed your gut instinct. You knew that something, you just couldn't put your finger on it. And yes. it was your gut that was telling you that. Yeah, I, as I said, it, is, it, it was, I don't want to say lucky, but I, I was glad that I did the LP pretty, yeah. pretty quickly um, because... Again, we discussed in the last podcast, sometimes LPs get left, you know, sometimes finding the right moment, uh, the right space to do things. But um, yeah, it was just picking up those little clues that, you know, yes, obviously the fluid was yellow. Uh, but the thing that struck me was actually he's not able to sit up right anymore in the time it's taken me to do an LP. And, and that doesn't that sit right. So and it, again, just rehashes the same thing that, you know, keep looking at your patient regularly um, because ultimately a, a lot of what's going on sits with them. Thank you very much for sharing that. I've certainly learned some key points from that case. It's reminded me that cervical epidural abscess is the cause of rapid deterioration in neurological function. Um, I will go away and read about Gillian Barre as well, again. Um, and thinking outside the box, definitely. You know, common things are common, but occasionally we do see cases like this. Thank you for listening to the RCP Medicine Podcast. If you want to get in touch, email us at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or tweet us at RCP London. And we look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye.